welcome to the first episode of the Wise Women in Waste podcast series with me, Debbie Hitchin, Sustainable Production and Consumption Director at Anthesis, and Claudia Amos, our Technical Director for Circularity, Resource Efficiency and Waste. Claudia and I first came up with the idea for this podcast series last year, during the beginning of the coronavirus lockdown, when our networks were being impacted by the need to work remotely. We wanted to co-host a short series of conversations which would be informal and explore the trends and opportunities in our sector, and maybe inspire other women to talk about their experiences. During the course of this series, we'll be sharing lessons that we've learned and focusing on a range of current hot topics relating to waste and circularity. We'll be looking at them specifically through the lenses of women. Throughout the series, we're going to invite colleagues and women who've inspired us or shared our career journey to explore the challenges in the sector we love, share our passion for the work that we do and explore networks which we've engaged with. We hopefully also be able to share some insights and our industry knowledge along the way. We aim to touch on topics as diverse as policy and regulation, new processes for waste treatment, design for circularity, the plastics debate, and of course, the role of women in shaping the decisive decade. But first, let's take a moment to look at how each of us came to be in this sector. Claudia, can you tell me a bit more about yourself and how you got involved in the waste sector? Absolutely. I'm really excited about this podcast series, so hope we will have some really good conversations. But really, I came intentionally and unintentionally into the sector. So I'm not technically trained or an engineer, um, but I had the benefit after doing university courses in environmental management and actually production management to get an internship with a big electronics good company to design a reverse logistics system. And that was just so interesting. And it was so good to go through all the different parts of the company because that was kind of like 96 when the first producer responsibility statutes came out. And it was just really interesting to see how the company started to think about their waste, their old products, repairs and everything, and the problems that would throw up. So that was a really interesting one. And I think that really whetted my appetite for waste in general or discarded products. And then I had the opportunity here in the UK to work with a really technical team and really just absorb all the technical details about waste processing technologies. And since then, I've really been hooked and going through different parts, sometimes more procurement focused or during the PFI phase working on waste treatment procurement contracts and a lot of energy from waste, then working a lot on composting and anaerobic digestion, which are private sector, and really in the last 18 months, a very, very clear focus on recycling, sorting and separation technologies, all the new digital technologies, AI, as well as a lot of plastics recycling and the new advanced plastics recycling systems. So really on-the-job training on the technical part, because to be honest, I don't think I would have had the confidence to take an engineering course, especially in Germany, where you know, there's very hardcore engineering. And even now, there are very few women really having the confidence to go into to these kind of professions from very early university stages. And I think you had, a, if not a waste processing journey, a similar on-the-job training, a lot of learning through your career. 
Yeah, I did. It's true. I started with a degree in resources in the environment at a time when actually it was a bit of a hangover from sort of concerns, I suppose, about natural resources running out, particularly oil and gas. But it was considered a bit of a strange course to take at that time. And when I left university, I wrote to all sorts of people from the National Coal Board, which still existed in those days, to local authorities, to to some private sector clients asking if they wanted an environmental scientist with a focus on materials science. And many of them said, yeah, you know, the environment's a really big thing in the future, but we wouldn't have anywhere to place you at the moment. We don't know what to do with somebody with that sort of qualification. And so I started my career in local authority at a time, actually, when household collection of recycling was still really in its sort of fairly immature stages. And certainly the the folk that I was working with were not anywhere near as diverse as the workforce that we would recognise in that sector today. As a woman, I was not necessarily a rarity, but certainly there weren't very many senior females in the sector at that time. There weren't very many people to sort of look up to for mentorship. But that sort of changed, I think, over the course of my career, as you say. I've had a pretty diverse journey. I moved into producer responsibility regulations at the end of the 90s, and there was a much more diverse workforce there. And of course, subsequently, I've moved up the value chain and do a lot more work now around sort of sustainable materials and sourcing and circularity, where I think there is actually a pretty good balance between male and female colleagues. And I think that's, you know, that's what inspires me. It's the opportunity to move up and down that materials value chain and add value to the sustainability criteria, but also to work with a diverse pool of individuals along that career journey, which makes me wonder, Claudia, so what is it that continues to inspire you? I mean, you used words like exciting and so on just now when you were introducing yourself. Say a little bit more about what it is that inspires you about your career. Absolutely. And you know, I normally don't get that excited. So it's really all the newness is that there's a constant stream over 20 years. There's so many new technologies, there's so many new approaches. It's also really exciting to see the breakthroughs. I mean, I've been working with pyrolysis for 20 years and it hasn't really gotten a foothold in the industry. And now suddenly we see it on two really important areas making a breakthrough firstly it's on the plastics recycling and we see how how it goes but it seems to be one of the processes especially for very mixed plastics as that has really promised and the other side is in biochar and producing fertilizers from sewer sludge wood and, and other issues so that's really gets me excited i love the new i love the different i love the learning and i think that's probably the other thing that constant learning over 20 years I find really exciting and very inspiring and then makes me go to work or sit in front of my my laptop nowadays so I think that's really the the area around the waste processing and the technology thing and also the preparedness through my career for the real engineers and the real technology developers to share their knowledge whenever you go to an exhibition if you go to a tech stand and ask how does this actually work? They are more than prepared to take you through all the minute detail, more, probably more than you want to know. But that still excites me. And I can only recommend if somebody would like to get their heads through, go to the most techie stand you can find in an exhibition and ask, how does it work? What does it do? And you will learn so much. And the more you do, the more you can compare the different processes and and technology. And I think that that really excites me especially when we are talking waste and waste treatment also now it's really nice to compare and see what they have they done different how can waste be treated differently so that's really what inspires me today
Claudia, I think it's really interesting that when you talk about your career and the work that you do, you're still focusing very much on waste. Whereas when I think about the sector that we represent, I tend to think of it across the materials value chain and, and more about materials and resources. And of course, through circularity, those two things are really connected. But I'm just wondering why you think we come at it, because it's the same topic, why you think we come at it from such different experiences and using such different language, and whether you think the language that we use resonates more or less with future women leaders. Yeah, super interesting. I think the first one is, and we have had this discussion for many years, for me, waste doesn't have a negative connotation. For me, it's the input to a waste process and why I'm so passionate about waste processing for me, because for me, circularity means material flows. And if I have somebody discarding a product or they're not creating a waste, that's the first step to get into some form of processing. And at the easiest, that's bulking, collecting, and maybe a bit of cleaning. And then at the most complex, it's a very chemical process to create the materials and the products. So I think maybe for me, waste is not as negative as it is. It doesn't mean that's the end. For me, that's the beginning. And that might be a slightly different you know, way of looking at it. But that's why I feel that that waste processing and circularity on the material flows is, is really important. And waste is just a start. So that's really done up. But I think you're right that the shift in talking about things, and especially when I hear our younger colleagues talking about that, I think the excitement is really about the circularity. And as you said, resources, materials seem to be sort of terms people feel much more comfortable with and probably more excited about than I'm about waste. I don't know. Do you agree? Do you think this makes it more accessible? Yeah, I think it does. I think the media awareness has changed dramatically in the 20 or so years that we're talking about that our careers have spanned. When I first started in this, the closest thing my parents had to really understanding what I did was that I was a bin man, emphasis on bin man, of course, in those days. And I think, you know, it's things like Blue Planet and Extinction Rebellion and Greta's presentations to the UN and so on, which have really moved the dial on this discussion. It's made sustainability real. And I think from now there's this much more diverse understanding of the role that we play in terms of keeping materials at their highest possible value, reuse, repair, recyclability, all of those sorts of things are common language at the moment. And I think that that makes it much more accessible. But as you say, much more exciting. When I first started in this sector, I can't think of many, if any, adverts that actually talked about sustainability. And yet today, if you watch primetime television with adverts on that channel, you'll see significant number of companies from box food delivery companies to car manufacturers talking about the importance of sustainability. And of course, within that, material use, material consumption and recycling have, have taken a really key focus. And I hope that that makes people think that this is a career, not just a, a job that some people do, but a career where you can develop skills for life and really make a big difference over the decisive decade, regardless of how you want to play in that materials value chain. Absolutely. I think the latter, the making the difference, I think is probably also something that drives us both and gets people into the types of job and, and um, types of work. And I think if I think about it, if somebody would offer me a kind of like a waste technology processing course versus a sustainability, a circular economy or extended producer responsibility course, 
I might have been you know, brave enough to do the latter, but I would have never done the first. So I think that's much more palatable and accessible. And maybe also people have a better understanding what it actually means, because I still have to explain why voice processing is exciting and where I see the purpose. Whereas if you talk sustainability, a lot of people have, I mean, a lot of people have different opinions, but everybody got an understanding of what that is. Yeah, I've been really struck over the pandemic, actually, by the number of my friends and family who've really taken an interest in sustainability and particularly in things like food waste and packaging. Because, of course, when you're in lockdown, as we have been in the UK for quite some time now, you perhaps become a little bit more dependent on e-retail and home delivery. And so the amount of packaging or the amount of food that's coming into your house, being consumed by your household and then being discarded somehow seems to be so much more visible at the moment. And I think, you know, I have interesting conversations now with colleagues and with friends and with family that I don't think I would have had five years ago about, you know, how I've got in touch with this new food box delivery service. And I'm really keen to see that all of their packaging is recyclable, or you can opt in and out of certain packaging formats, or, you know, they provide you a facility to return the packaging after you've consumed the food. And I think five, six years ago, that would have been not on any of my friends' radars. So for me, I think by bringing it into the central focus like this, it hopefully inspires people to see that there is somebody behind all of that. There's a system, there's a design engineer, there's a, a thought process in the R&D development stages in businesses that's actually now considering sustainability. So, again, I think the, the work that you and I do is touching on so many different career paths now than it did when we first joined. You can join a blue chip company in their R&D department, for example. And if you're a packaging engineer, for example, you may well have a key strand or a key performance indicator, which is specifically looking at how you can design that packaging for recyclability at end of life which I think is a really exciting opportunity. And as you say, at the other end of the spectrum, there are increasing demands for people with the experience that you have to help develop the treatment facilities that will cope with that material when it is at its final stage of its life cycle. Absolutely. And I think you also got both sides. Sustainability is now part of the core management team. So you're not just kind of green office where you're completely apart from your normal management colleagues. So in terms of career, I think there's much more accessible and much more straightforward. And also there's so many skills and skill levels that are required to make it all work that there's been a real improvement. And just going back to the kind of like the home deliveries and everything. So we have just been discussing yesterday with the team on what is going to be the long-term impact in terms of waste arisings, where we have seen a clear shift from commercial waste into household waste because everybody's at home. But the big question is, how is that going to impact the household waste in the long term? Is that actually going to have a positive effect? Because as you say, people find it much more visible the waste they produce because they literally see their bin every day and they add to it. They might also kind of like buy different things. So instead of buying a can of something, you buy a, a two litre bottle or you even get glass bottles and deliveries. And I think those things are really interesting how that's going to deliver and what the impact is in terms of behaviour change and, and, and general development really for, for everybody, male and female. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Claudia. I was having a very similar conversation. As you know, we run the Paper Cup Recycling and Recovery Group and have done for about six or seven years. And there was a, an all-member meeting just yesterday when they were looking at exactly that topic. The long-term behaviours for consumption of coffee after the pandemic and after the lockdown restrictions are eased and whether or not that will result in more material coffee cups specifically going into the household waste stream and how the private sector players in the coffee retail value chain can actually then play a part in helping to get that material back. And I think this is the really interesting thing about where you see producer responsibility and leading best practice coming together to drive the best opportunity to get the values out of the materials wherever they arise. And it's, again, exciting because that particular project, I think, nicely illustrates the journey that we've been on. You know, it, it was six years ago when Hugh Fernley Whittingstall drove a bus through London with negative slogans on it about coffee cups not being recycled. In the course of that six years, that group has worked through voluntary action to really change the mechanisms for collection and reprocessing of the paper through specific paper mills in the UK. And now we've got a situation where 20 or more than 20 waste collectors are collecting the materials from the coffee shops. But in the advent of the closure of those coffee shops, we're now developing that collection to the next point of the consumption cycle. So looking at how to take it into the home. And for me, it's that evolution. You know, there's nothing static in the work that we do. It's that evolution of different opportunities, different ways of addressing the challenges and the problems that keeps this job really fresh. But I was interested in something else you were talking about yesterday with me, Claudia, which was about the opportunities that lockdown has presented for women in business and perhaps a way in which it creates a different work environment that might favour women more than the, the more traditional styles. Absolutely. And I think it's not just um, home working, it's just everything that happened in 2020. It's also the push towards more diversity across ethnicity, gender, and lots of other issues. I think it's going to be really beneficial. And maybe also contradicting a bit why we set up this podcast, because to a certain degree, we both felt there wasn't a big, or there still isn't a big platform for women to talk and to hear familiar voices just kind of having a chat about what it is to kind of be a, a woman in waste. But I'm really hopeful that this general push towards diversity and little things like this and, and other big developments will hopefully help to get more women into the profession, into technical jobs and into kind of like careers, into a higher level of management and boards as well, which is really important. I think also there's some on the virtual thing, as a mum, Trying to juggle homeschooling and everything is not easy. But on the other end, homeworking, and I'm also homework outside the pandemic, enables me to do school runs, be here for my kids, and it just enables me to work really in the way I'm working. So I'm really grateful for one thesis being such a liberal employer and taking care of people and enabling people to work efficiently, maybe in slightly different time arrangement than a traditional job. And I think the circularity and the recognition of collaboration across sectors, across supply chains, is really conducive to our skill set and female skill set. It's a bit stereotypic, but I think there is a general way where we have a more collaborative attitude. And I think that can be really helpful. And that makes me really hopeful for the next 10 years. So instead of having big targets for getting women into boardrooms, there will be hopefully also a natural push from women themselves to enable them to get into the boardrooms and uh, have a more equal 
share of making decisions at any level. For me, I think the thing that I would like to see in our sector is more female mentorship, more opportunity for senior women in our sector to share experiences, both technically, but also some of the experiences that you've just talked about. I think what's interesting about the way that we're working, although we're more remote during this pandemic, it seems to me that the level of conversations that I have with colleagues and with peers and with some of my clients, it's become more authentic. And I wonder whether that's because we're in our home environment and there are undoubtedly children in the background, uh, pets in the background, other distractions that somehow make us feel more like we're connected to those people on a more personal level. And I would love to be able to see how we can continue that, because for me, it's developing much stronger relationships and much more open conversations than it would have done if we were having an equivalent in a meeting room in an office, dressed in office attire, uh, or even in a coffee shop, which is where I developed a lot of my networks over the last 10 years or so. There's something about about being in people's home environment with them that opens up a more free conversation and a deeper relationship. And I'd love to see if there's a way that we can build on that post-pandemic to create a sort of environment or a network where we can have a strong female peer group working together to provide additional support, both around the technical, but also around some of these other challenges and opportunities that present themselves in our day-to-day lifetimes. And I know there's a CIWM women's working group that is championing diversity and specifically championing women in the workplace. But I wonder whether there might be roles for other similar sort of networks that are perhaps a little bit less formal and maybe not operating through some of the more traditional groups like like CIWM. I don't know what you think to that, Claudia. Yeah, I love that idea. And I think you're right. I think it has a positive and a negative. I think the virtual working and looking into people's living rooms or home offices and family life has enabled us to have a less clear cut distinction between work and home. And I think that makes everybody more amenable, more normal, because we all have to be truthful that we are just not this work person. We are also another person at home with friends, uh, with family. And I think that has merged a bit, which really, as you said, deepens the relationship. But it can also be that sometimes actually much more healthy to have your work and home life separate in terms of work-life balance. So I think it would be good to maintain the good bits in terms of relationship and just being a bit more normal and admitting you're not just this work person, you're also the other side um, as part of your overall personality and to maintain that and also to enable people to open up and share that because I think that can be really healthy and I think also enables a much healthier relationship at work where you can say look had a really stressful day today so um, it might be difficult to focus on this project so just explain it instead of coming out and saying like oh she was really under par (laughs) didn't really be as sparkly or as as bright as she normally is and I think that makes life really easier and especially I think for for women who still often shoulder a large part of the the family chores um, I think that might be uh, a a much easier um, working relationship and should really be encouraged um, and accepted but also from our male colleagues it's really nice to see that those guys are also dads and I think that's really refreshing and makes everybody more amenable and able to to talk at the same at the same level I think that's for me a really nice nice way of looking forward 
and looking forward, I think, is a really interesting topic. As you know, I'm quite keen on organisational psychology and societal connectivity. And I'm really interested to see how this shift that we've started to see will be moved forward by the next generation of leaders, male and female. But millennials and Gen Z have very different expectations about the way that their lives will function and how they will make that In fact, I think they call it the work-life blend rather than work-life balance because they've been brought up with technology. And I see that this is sort of beginning to happen. You know, you talk a little bit earlier about flexible working around other commitments in your home life and home environment. And I, I think that that's a trend that we're likely to see growing in the future with millennial and Gen Z perhaps pushing far more for a sort of more flexible blend of working life and as the older generations, those of us in the Gen X and so on, begin to sort of shuffle off out of our careers and take retirement, <laughs> I think you'll see a real difference in the way that, you know, the, the leaders of the future want to address this opportunity to, to work to the maximum of your or the optimum uh, of your capability rather than perhaps within a fixed nine to five environment. And I certainly hope that that benefits not just women in, in our career, but actually encourages others to join our career, because this is a career, particularly in the consulting sector that we represent, where actually that sort of very flexible work environment is is really easy to achieve. It's really easy to deliver the work that you have to. And particularly when you're working in international environments, as we do regularly, that flexibility can work quite well. If you have a call with a client or a colleague on the West Coast of America, which is eight hours behind us here in the UK, or one with somebody in Hong Kong, which is seven hours ahead, of course, it's not practical to try to shoehorn those into a nine to five working day. So the flexibility, I think, is coming from a number of different angles. And I hope that it has longevity beyond this pandemic. Absolutely. I really agree. I think that's a, that's a really nice way maybe to end our first podcast. Yes, you're right. We have reached the end of our time, which is a shame because I feel like we have lots of other things that we've still got to touch on. But the exciting thing is that we want to do this as a series. We're going to be inviting other colleagues to join us and share their technical experiences, some of the challenges and opportunities that they have faced. And so for now, I think we will leave you at this point, but we'd welcome you to join us again. And if you have any feedback or any comments that you would like to address to us or topics you would like us to cover, please feel free to get in touch with us via the Anthesis website or via LinkedIn. Claudia and I would love to hear from other people and to see what you'd like to talk about with us in the coming series. So thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you for joining us, Claudia, and speak to you all again soon. Super. Thank you. Goodbye.